The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host today, and I think we have a topic that's going to interest a large majority of you. Today, we're going to talk about marijuana, how the history has led us to where we are today with probably one of our um, more vocal national uh, experts on um, the whole, I guess it's the whole continuum of marijuana from the history to the neurobiology to the policy of um, marijuana legalization. And I'd like to introduce to you our, our guest today, Benjamin Court, who is the Manager of Professional Relations at CEDAR, University of Colorado Hospital. Um, Ben's been a, a person in long-term recovery. He is on the um, Board of Directors of Project SAM, which is Smart Approaches to Marijuana, also a fellow at the University of Florida Drug Policy Institute, and he's also on the uh, board of directors for NALGAP, uh, the Association of Gay, Lesbian, and Bisexual Transgender Addiction Professionals and their allies. So welcome to the show, Ben. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Mary. It's a pleasure. Well, I guess where do you want to start? Um, you want to start with the history? Well, uh, we can certainly talk to, to the history, if you're interested, I find that so much of this conversation that really resonates with folks is hearing the, the absolute latest. And, um, you know, being in Colorado, um, I can kind of give you an idea of, of what's happening up to the second, if you want, and maybe we could backtrack to the history. <laughs> okay. All right. I just think it's good for us to understand how we got here. Oh, sure. And, the, um, and some of the misconceptions and myths along the way. And that are still being uh, perpetuated today. Sure. Um, where would you like me to start? This is a big topic. Well, why don't you start with where we are and we'll go backwards. Well, where we are um, is today a handful of states, including uh, four more on Election Day last week, uh, are allowing for the recreational use of marijuana, and uh, there, there's almost 30 states that allow for the medicinal use of. And e- even like a really quick, simple statement like that, this is such a complex conversation, I would probably want to clarify marijuana right now. Um, you know, I think so many of us, we have this historical idea of what it is, and we're, you know, thinking back to the 30s, and we're thinking back to the 20s, and kind of where a lot of these old laws came from. 
And um, we're, we're not considering the reality that today it, it's a lot less about a, a cannabis plant and a lot more about um, THC, which, of course, is a psychoactive component in the plant. And, and in all of the amazing and somewhat miraculous forms <laughs> that the industry has figured out how to get uh, it into our body. So we know that there are, what, at least 28 different cannabinoids that I know affect um, mental illness. Um, And I know that two of those we know the most about. One um, will stimulate symptoms of schizophrenia and one will quiet symptoms of schizophrenia. What do we know about any of the other medicinal uses for it? I think epilepsy, it's been used to treat epilepsy as well. Yeah, there's actually some really strong indicators for use with uh, epilepsy. And, I mean, even in as simple a statement as you just made, it it gets incredibly complex. And part of the reason is that we haven't really done a good job um, in this country of of testing the potential upsides to it. So what we've got is a lot of anecdotal. Um, But, you know, to say that it and, and it being... Marijuana um, helps with uh, any number of things is even a little bit misleading. It's going to be a component of just like, you know, we wouldn't um, say that opium helps with pain relief or that sycamore bark helps with, uh, or hemlock bark or or anything helps with pain relief. It's... um, it's components of the, that are the solution. And for seizure disorder, particularly a couple of really specific ones that affect young people like Travaux syndrome and, and one or two others, there's some really interesting promise. But um, promise needs to be tested, and it needs to be tested in a double-blind, placebo-controlled, and, and then careful and regulated ways so that we're not going to put in stuff in the kids' bodies that, um, that, that might be exacerbating. So why haven't we done those double-blind tests? Why haven't we done more research on it, on THC and the cannabinoids? Um, and the other one, yeah, the one where most of the medicinal qualities would be would be uh, called CBD. And the reason really is a, a pretty significant failure on the part, in my opinion, on the part of the federal government to not only allow but to encourage more testing. So right now, um, it, it is just it, it's almost impossible for um, for people to actually, you're not going to get IRB approval for something that everybody agrees is only bad all around. Um, so th- there's people who are getting around it. You know, I know, I know of a hospital that is allowing parents to administer some of these spe- uh, CBD-specific um, tinctures to kids under the hospital's care. So the hospital's not necessarily administering it, but they're keeping an eye on it. Um, you, you've got a few of these companies uh, in Colorado, one in California, that are producing something that's going to have more potential medical quality than it will um, get you high quality. Uh, and, and so that would be a CBD heavy and a THC light. There also are a couple out there. We've got an FDA fast track approval going on. There's two drugs that are really, I mean, actually created in laboratories by people who care about quality control. Um, one's called Sativex, uh, and, and the other's Marinol. Um, two very interesting drugs. 
So explain to our listeners why um, marijuana is classified the way it is by the DEA. I think, so there was a big call and an outcry a couple of months ago to reschedule uh, marijuana as a Schedule II uh, drug. And one of the tricks is, is that right now, as the language is written in the scheduling, um, it, it it actually meets the definition of what a Schedule One is. So it would be less about having the federal government reclassify and more about the federal government kind of changing the way that they define uh, what a, a scheduled drug is. Because right now, marijuana does fit within the the description of a Schedule One, and unfortunately, is this uh, is the industry is so rapidly advancing and advancing the forms of delivery and certainly the potency of delivery. One of the things that we're we're seeing is this drug that, for a long time, what was probably you know fairly benign and and wasn't that big of a deal and maybe didn't deserve its place on that list. We're seeing it get quite a bit more uh, in insidious and harmful in its, its effects on people. You know, um, well, I, I'm old enough to remember when people, when Columbia Gold was considered the best um, marijuana around, and um, now it, it seems to me like they're, you know, genetically um, farming it so that it's much more sophisticated than it used to be. It's not even the same drug. Um, you know, I I wrote a book on this subject, and I started off by kind of describing the perception versus reality that we have. And I think one of the best examples is when when we talk. So I've, I've been sober 20 years, uh, and um, most of the people who are making the decisions around this um, have, have been around for a little while longer. We're, we're kind of thinking back to the good old days and, hey, what's the big deal and who really cares? And it's, it's, we're talking about like a hand crank Model T that can maybe go 20 miles per hour downhill. I mean, nobody was having psychotic breaks because of uh, weed that had 3% THC in it. Uh, if they were, it was so few and far between that, that, that it really never got paid much attention in the literature. And now, you know, our, our concentrates, which are absolutely taking the place of just uh, the normal plant are 95, 98% THC. Uh, the plant is showing up with as high as 42% THC in it um, and no CBD. So what we are doing is creating this, like totally creating this super plant that, that's not even a plant anymore. The concentrates are synthetic. Um, just to get you high, and so we're talking about a Model T, and everybody's driving around in a Ferrari, and uh, our, our definition of what it is, because we go back to like our time, uh, unfortunately, has fallen way behind the reality of today's THC. You know, um, it, it, I, at Westbridge, we treat folks that have uh, co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders, and we've seen so many people who are using these new synthetic forms of marijuana and a new higher-grade marijuana become so psychiatrically compromised. Um, and it's scary. And, and a lot of people that um, we intake, a lot of young people, you know, they, they had a vulnerability to mental illness um, and they used enough substances to um, release the gene and trigger and trigger the mental illness. And I, and I just think people don't 
underest they so underestimate the power of 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 this substance. Mary, if everybody if everybody in this conversation were forced to listen to those of us on the front line say things like that, I think it would be very different. Because what we do is we kind of constantly in the media and whatnot, we laud the advantages and we say these things that we've heard are good about it, particularly anecdotal. And what we miss are, I mean, because we're seeing the exact same thing here. Uh, you, you know, people whose psychosis is so severe that three, four, five weeks into an episode, um, we, we still are not able to deal in the same reality. Uh, and these are folks without histories whose use of these high concentrate THC products are are to blame for it. And, you know, if this were anything else on earth, if this were some sort of chemical that was in a cereal or you know, something people were putting in clothing dye or, or whatever, there would be um, a national outcry. Uh, and, you know, here we have this substance that is doing some really, really scary things. I mean, just look at the reality that the DSM, and for those of you listening, not in, in our field, the DSM is the manual that we use to diagnose these conditions that we treat. For the first time ever, the last version just included cannabis withdrawal. Um, it, it is just a different drug than what people think that it is. So we're seeing the psychosis and we're seeing the severe mental illness issues. And then on the other side, you know, I'm having patients come in and tell us that um, they have been using it to, to quote, treat their depression, uh, schizophrenia, anxiety, PTSD, all, all of which the use of uh, THC or marijuana is contraindicated uh, with. It, it's scary stuff. And we'll be right back after this commercial to talk more with Ben. If you have any questions, give us a call. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present and learn to live your life's infinite potential. It's time to experience Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio with host Rochelle McLaughlin. Each week, you'll learn about essential skills and knowledge to help you discover and create your own experience of health and well-being and learn to be empowered to take bold and loving action toward manifesting the life you long for. Tune in every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific and 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. 
Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Today our topic is um, marijuana and the legalization of it and, um, you know, the good things and the not-so-good things about um, marijuana as it stands today with our guest, Benjamin Court, who is the Manager of Professional Relations at Cedar, the University of Colorado Hospital. Um, Ben is also um, on the Board of Directors of Project SAM, which is Smart Approaches to Marijuana. He's a fellow at the University of Florida Drug Policy Institute, and he's on the Board of Directors of NALGAP, the Association of Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Addiction Professionals and their Allies. And, um, you know, Ben, as as we were talking during the break, there's so much more to this than just the simplistic, whether it's legal or it's not legal. You know, we have um, we have tobacco and we have alcohol, which are highly regulated industries that have very powerful lobbies that affect policies all the time that I don't think most people really understand or pay attention to. <clears throat> right after the first Gulf War, I was going to uh, uh, an addiction conference and I shared a taxi with a person who um, provided addiction counseling to the um, U.S. Air Force, and he said that the first Gulf War, we had the lowest, we had the highest rate of accurate bombings and um, productivity, and he said the reason was is that it was because there was no alcohol allowed in Saudi Arabia, and they did studies, and they were about to publish it, and the liquor, the liquor lobby um, lobbied against it, and so Congress chose not to publish the findings. And so I don't think people understand that, yeah, we had a tobacco settlement, but tobacco is still a big business and a big industry in in our states, and they they influence a lot of our policies. So um, so what is the the industry of, of marijuana? Where are we with that on a national level? Oh boy, you! This is the sweet spot for me, Mary. This is the thing that um, is the most relevant in this entire conversation. You know, I've, I've I've said all over the country and in media all over the world. I don't know how many times that um, I, I have no interest in having a conversation about casual adult use. Um, what I have an interest in is uh, the the conversation around what happens when another vice industry is promoted by uh, <laughs> all of the bad to me that, that, that it feels like we can have inside of this country, the, the American-style capitalism that stops at absolutely nothing uh, to make a buck on the backs of anybody who we can. Uh, so the folks, and we, we certainly do have an industry. There's an organization called the Cannabis Industry Association that's national. 
and they've got a couple of K Street lobbyists in D.C., but the the lobby who's really behind most of this would be um, a couple of the big ones uh, are the Marijuana Policy Project, the MPP. The Drug Policy Alliance is certainly the, the biggest. They're the folks who've started the whole movement um, and, and safer, uh, normal, kind of everybody thinks a normal, but these are really kind of a bunch of fun old hippies who are who are just about as angry at the industrialization of this as I am. <laughs> uh, the issue and a lot of the trouble really lies within the industrialization of this substance, not at all in the um, decriminalization of, because I think that's not a bad thing at all. So when we look at this... Um you know, I, I'm just thinking about the fact that, um, you know, we have we have big tobacco, we have um, venture capitalists, we have people who are um, currently making money, about to make a fortune out of this, and where where is the federal government in terms of regulating, you know, the you know, THC products, where are we in terms of understanding what's the legal limit for intoxication? And, you know, um, and how are we going to do um, sober checks? I mean, maybe you guys know how to do that in Colorado, but here, you know, we do a breathalyzer and, um, you know, are we, what's going to change, if anything? You've, You've nailed it. Um, the lack of involvement and the, the the total disregard for tracking any of this that we have seen from the federal government is one of the most frustrating parts about this. You know, Colorado is constantly referred to as uh, an experiment. Uh, the problem is there's nobody tracking the data and there's nobody who's reporting those outcomes. Uh, we've got a few things happening in the state, and the state's finally kind of taken it upon themselves. But if, if you look at the big lobbies for the big industries that you mentioned, which were uh, big alcohol and big tobacco, you absolutely have to add big marijuana to that list now um, because it's an incredibly powerful lobby. Uh, we, we know of at least 28 full-time lobbyists for the THC industry operating just in Colorado. Uh, and the trick to this is, since there's <laughs> what you and I have long learned being in this business, since there's no money to be made in prevention, um, you have a, a dramatically uh, underrepresented other side to this. And the thing that's always struck me as crazy in this conversation is the other side is made up of all of the experts who we should be turning to for the answer, the American Psychiatric Organization, the American Medical Society, the, uh, the, uh, everybody who knows about this stuff uh, constantly weighs in and says, guys, this is foolish. You're taking it the wrong direction. Slow down. Um, but if you got enough money and you can spend that money convincing voters of something, um, anything can happen. I mean, <laughs> look what happened last week. <laughs> yeah, anything well, we're can happen. Go there. <laughs> really. So the other trick is, uh, without any sort of federal involvement, help, oversight, uh, if anything, they're they're getting in the way of it. You know, the the federal government has not allowed the University of Mississippi, uh, which is the only place where we can test potency. They have not allowed them specifically not allowed them to test anything that's come from a commercial market ever. And they haven't tested a domestic sample since 2010. So those are federal mandates. But the part of the trick is you have um, tons of federal 
resources and infrastructure that are put into helping enforce laws and and everything that we've got on the books around uh, tobacco and alcohol consumption. And since this is illegal at a federal level, um, they can't have anything to do with it or else they'd be complicit in violating their own laws. So it is left entirely up to the states to kind of supplement the FDA when it comes to regulating all of these edibles because the FDA can't be involved when it comes, um, uh, they have to figure out policies and and standards on their own for what acceptable levels of pesticides are because uh, it's not like we're getting help from the federal government in those areas. You know, it's it's just, I don't know, it boggles my mind. Um, The big loser in all this and, and I truly believe this, is that um, we still don't get what addiction is in America. I mean, you know, people just don't get that um, th- these are brain diseases. And if you, and for some people, you, they get enough exposure and they develop these brain diseases. So it doesn't matter whether it's legal or it's not legal. Gambling, the same thing. I mean, these are all reward pathway syndrome disorders that... Um, People just, the everyday person doesn't understand. I mean, we all understand that, you know, if you're, if you're going to be sexually active, you better use protection because there's STDs and there's HIV. Everybody knows that. But we don't, we've never done a good job of explaining to the everyday person what addiction is. I, I believe that's because the profiteers of it, be that big pharma or big marijuana, big tobacco, big alcohol, um, they've done a really good job of countering that message. And we now live in a society where it seems to me that um, extreme intoxication and consistent intoxication are getting to be more the norm. You, you know, it's less about a celebratory drink with friends and it's more about this idea that um, we're, we're all going to live altered, intoxicated, whatever, to some degree. So just pick your poison, which is the worst of them. And I, you know, I think for those of us who have gone through active addiction and then on the other side are, are, are so grateful for the connection that recovery allows us and for the clarity. And it, it's just hard to see the normalization of intoxication. And, and in this instance, by yet another like <laughs> organized entity who wants to profit off of it. Well, and here's the other irony is that, you know, um, certainly over the last year, every addiction conference I've been to, they've talked about addiction being, um, you know, in addition to a biopsychological and physiological disease, it's the disease of loneliness and disconnection. So, you know, the more we're on our, our, on our phones, the more we interact with avatars, the more disconnected we become from other humans, the more we're going to look for marijuana, gambling, alcohol, whatever, to, to feel connected. And it just seems to me like a vicious cycle. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And then the easier the access is, the more the issues associated with or whatever that is, whatever mood-altering thing. I mean, some people use pornography in the same way. Some people mm-hmm. use alcohol, tobacco, weed, whatever it is. But um, it, it's, that's, to me, the hallmark of kind of an advanced society is how good a job we do protecting, protecting people at those vulnerable times. And I'm not talking about a police state or anything, but um, 
how how many safeguards we have built into our society to help people find other things to to cope with the pain and, and hardship that exists inside of life instead of just totally checking out because when you check back in the problem's still there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um what do you think is next? I mean we have vaping which um most of us know that that whole system was designed so that eventually when marijuana became legal, there'd be a delivery system for it. But um, where do we go? What's next? We'll start with vaping, and then I gotta, I'll tell you about all the alternative forms of consumption if it's now or after the break. But the vaping is a huge deal because we now can vaporize um, concentrates, which are... In Colorado, we're projecting that we will sell more concentrates in 2017 than we did flowers in 2016. So a concentrate is butane-extracted hash oil, propane-extracted hash oil. Um, It comes in rock form. You you traditionally have smoked it in a superheated needle, um, same way we did crack and meth and heroin. But now uh, these vaporizers are being built to combust above 700 degrees. So they can combust uh, concentrates in the vaporizers. And this is actually what's making up most of the edibles. It's a, it's a highly concentrated form of um, THC that, that's being mixed in with them. So these are the... The, the best article I ever saw was um, THC-infused everything. And then it went on to list how uh, it, it's just... if. If you can get it into your body, someone is commercially selling it with significant THC infused in it. And we're certainly all the edibles we're used to, but um, suppositories, um, both anal and vaginal, uh, which is a big deal for a lot of people, um, tattoo, post-tattoo ointment, um, suckers, gum, coffee, ice cream, absolutely anything that you can get inside of your body is now being sold commercially infused with THC. Um, I was doing an interview a couple of months ago, and and I said something to this effect, and the the woman who I was speaking with said, well, Ben, it's not like there's uh, weed pasta. And while we were talking, I sent her uh, an advertisement for THC-infused pasta noodles and a coupon for THC-infused pasta sauce. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, let's talk more about that when we come back from the break. We'll be right back, folks. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso. 
to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Children with chronic conditions shouldn't have to just live with it. There are many alternative options that can reduce, reverse, or even eliminate the effects of chronic illness in our children. On Kids Health Revolution Radio with host Deborah Morgan, we'll explore these alternatives to help you take care of your children. It's time to take our kids' health back. Listen every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everybody. Today, our guest is Benjamin Court, who is the Director of Professional Relations at Cedar University of Colorado Hospital. He's also on the Board of Directors for SAM, Smart Approaches to Marijuana, um, and he's on the Board of Directors from Cornell Gap, which is the Association of Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Addiction Professionals, and their Allies. And, um, gee, Ben, um, you were talking about edibles and vaping before we went to um, break. Is there anything else that you want to say about that? I, I mean, I know what we're hearing a lot of is just the vaping process itself can be very toxic to somebody yeah, with lungs and I, mouth. And I, I wish I knew more about vaping in general. You know, we've got a, a subject matter expert here on that with our medical director, and so it's not been something I've learned a ton about. I just know it as a delivery system for THC. And, you know, you know the trick to dealing with the, the THC being uh, combusted inside of vaporizers is that the, my, my favorite ad out there says, um, it's for a THC-specific vaporizer, and it says, no smell, no mess, no problem. Um, it's really easy to uh, consume that just about anywhere you ever would want to. And and I think that's probably the big lesson to people who might be listening who are either in this field or in education or something where, where people might be trying to get away with use is that there really is, is absolutely not anything that you can put into your body that someone is not infusing THC into at, at the commercial level. Um, in fact, there's somebody who's making disposable injectable THC which is you know it's a it's a gimmick it's a something for tourists to Colorado I think because it's a it's a very um, inefficient delivery system for THC but uh, any way that you can get THC into your body it, it's out there so whether that's mints or um, suckers or sodas and the real trick to this stuff Mary is most of it has multiple um, servings inside of. So, for example, in Colorado, which everybody seems to be modeling off of now, 
Um, 10 milligrams of concentrated THC is a legal edible serving. So what we've got now are, are these companies who create um, treats with multiple servings inside of it. And some of the examples that should just make anybody uh, either frustrated or laugh out loud and demand some sort of change would be a, uh, there, there's a company called Chiba Chews who makes a Jolly Rancher-sized toffee. It's exactly the size of a Jolly Rancher. And their Decadose comes with 175 milligrams of THC in it, so 17 and a half legal servings. Um, there, there's a soda called Keef Cola um, that comes with 350 milligrams of THC in it, so 35 servings and one bottle of soda. And, you know, obviously consuming that much um, is a pretty risky thing, even, even for folks who are very stable and experienced users. You know, there's that much to say after that, Ben. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. Right. So and have there been any are... um, negative effects to uh, marijuana in Colorado? Have, have there been negative effects? Did you yeah, ask? but it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, yeah, yeah. I, I actually wrote a book just about that. It took me, took me 60,000 words to sum all of them up. Um, let, let me give you what I think is one of the, that we have not talked about yet, uh, one of the most significant. So with, with two very important subjects that we have covered being the, um, mental health issues associated with use of this super high potent stuff and the addiction issues associated with, which are huge problems. Um, the social justice side to this really is being overlooked. You, you know, one of the things that was told and is told to everybody who's voting on this is, hey, we're going to stop locking people up and, and especially minorities because we lock up so many more minorities for minor drug infractions than we do anybody else. And you know, the reality is that Colorado locked up almost no one for uh, simple possession of just about any drugs. And at a federal level, you know, it's about 0.2%, uh, and, and typically the average is about 40 pounds that a person had with them. It's plea bargains. It's, you know, possession of small amounts of weed is, is like a traffic ticket everywhere. But there are one-off cases, and there are people who get arrested for it, and so we've been told that this was going to reduce the um, disproportionate arrest of minorities. And the first data that we have from the state came from a, uh, a mandated report that was released last year, and it was it's absolutely phenomenal. So there's no, um, they, they didn't do arrests of adults because that really doesn't happen even a, a little bit. But what they did was the arrests or citations of those under 18. Uh, and what we discovered in that, and, and this was a state-issued report from last year, was that there was an 8% reduction in arrest and citations of white kids uh, in 2014, the year following commercialization. There was a 29% increase in the arrest and citation of Hispanic youth and a 58% increase in the arrest and citation of black youth. And that's a really simple equation. It's because most of these dispensaries of the 700 and some that we have in Denver proper um, are located in poor uh, neighborhoods. And in Denver, a lot of the poor neighborhoods tend to be much higher concentration of minorities. So what you have since we have commercialized is 
8% fewer white kids arrested, almost 30% more Hispanic, and almost 60% more African-American kids. And that is not social justice. That's a, it's a travesty. Well, it's just like if you ever went to Washington, D.C., the number of liquor stores in the poor districts of Washington, D.C., it's almost like CVS and Walgreens are on every corner. I mean, the same thing has happened for people of color when it comes to alcohol as well. It's it's where I got sober. Um, Yeah, and I I know D.C. well, and I know the proliferation of those stores and, you know, lottery stores and liquor. And um, It's why uh, I, and, and because I've been very fortunate and, um, you know, I grew up on public assistance and grew up in a very different neighborhood than I live in with my kids now uh, because I wanted my kids to have a different quality education and security and things. Uh, I don't have a dispensary for eight miles from my house in Colorado because uh, it's a upper middle class, predominantly white neighborhood. Um, but if you go to a community called Globeville in Denver here, uh, where the average median income is $17,000, 93% African-American, uh, there's one dispensary for every 47 residents. Yeah, it's not social justice. No, it's, it, you know, I've, I've long thought that one of the best ways to judge a society is how we care for our, our most at risk, uh, be, be that those uh, who are mentally incapacitated or people who um, are, are just dealt a bad hand economically from birth. Or, um, it seems to me that a, that a sophisticated society, one that um, is is moving in the right direction as one that does all that it can to protect the most vulnerable. And I, I believe that this is a step in the opposite direction of that, and it looks like the data is backing up what we've been jumping up and down and saying for a couple of years. You know, it just seems, um, well, I'm not going to go there. What can we do? What can treatment professionals do? What can people who are concerned about this do? Is this just a tsunami that we're just going to get swept away in? I think you could look at it that way, um, but I, I, I also think that nihilism is, is not something that really permeates our field. I, I think if, if those of us in this field get to a point where hopelessness outweighs hope, then... Um, then it's probably time for us to think about being in another field because what we do is um, everything that we can to bring people back from hopelessness. So, no, I, I, I think what happens is eventually the data is going to be inarguable and there's going to be a, a spin machine that's going to work to cover that up. But ultimately, you know, all the low-hanging fruit in the country has been picked right now. It's going to be... It'll be a lot harder to pass a recreational marijuana bill in, in South Carolina than it was in Oregon, for example. Um, so I think what we need to do as treatment providers on the front line is to, to remember that just because something has been politicized does not mean that it's political. You know, for me, and I know I end up talking so much about politics because that's at the core of this, but this isn't about the politics of it. This is about, you know, how we offer interventions and, you know, a helpful hand when people need it. So we've got to continue to learn about the alternative forms of consumption, about what's happening with these, um, you know, super-powered um, weed-on-steroids 
forms of THC that are being consumed and then continue to look for um, interventions and, and ultimately, hopefully, some pharmacologic interventions, which we, we don't have any right now. Um, I'll speak at ASAM this year on behalf of NIH with, with some folks about um, treatment models that we can use. And we'll be right back after this commercial to talk about those treatment models. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. If you have been experiencing addiction issues, be it drugs, alcohol, or something else, you know what it means to feel alone in the world. The Power to Create Yourself with host Ross Ramin is here to prove that you don't have to feel this way. There are others who have been there or are still there. And together, we can sort out the truths and the lies in order to reveal the true essence of your character. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. When a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, it's probably the most frightening thing that's ever happened to her. Friends and family often don't know what to do for support, not to mention the patient herself. That's where Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio comes in. Join Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin, breast cancer survivors and advocates. They help by providing inspiration, information, and most of all, hope. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everybody. Today we're talking about um, marijuana, and we are talking about that subject with a uh, well-known national um, expert, and that is Benjamin Court, who is the Manager of Professional Relations at Cedar University of Colorado Hospital. And Ben is also a person in long-term recovery, and I think that's very significant, um, especially when it comes to this issue, because certainly you have seen both sides of it yourself, um, both personally and professionally. And you were talking before the break about um, different treatment models, and that sounded very interesting. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, sure. Um, I I think 
one of the good things that is coming out of all of this is the conversation that's being had uh, amongst those of us in the profession on what we can do to uh, better meet the needs of the patient population that's presenting itself. Uh, We have such a significant portion of our population that's coming in here THC-dependent that um, it's, it's making us ask some really serious questions about methodology and about um, pharmacologic uh, opportunities for intervention. You know, right now there's just, there's just nothing. And that's, that's one of the difficult things is, um, you know, we've long had good drugs to help us with all sorts of um, issues associated with addiction of specific substances, uh, some short-term, some long-term options, and some off-label and some on-label. And since we just don't have anything right now, I know that conversation's happening. I know that they're really some of the best and brightest minds in this field um, are given real hard thought to what... Um, what sort of specific uh, interventions we can have from a therapeutic standpoint uh, for folks who are THC dependent and because our patient population is so much larger now than it was, um, maybe we'll have an opportunity to, to even present and publish some of that because, uh, you know, addiction's addiction and, and you treat addiction uh, because it's all to some level the same thing, some sort of reward deficiency syndrome, if uh, Dr. Bloom is right, (laughs) I think he is, Uh, but there are specific things that we have learned and know about specific substances, and I think we're learning a lot about THC right now. So, um, can you tell us a little bit about the book that you mentioned a couple times? Um, Is it it out yet? When, When do you anticipate it, and what's the name of it? Oh, I wish it were out so much. Been, it seems to me like the process has just gone on forever. But I'm not a, I'm not a particularly patient person most of the time. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, it, it looks like it'll be released early next year by um, HCI, and the book is called "Stirring the Pot," uh, and it, it really is a deeper look at these more contemporary issues. Well, we certainly do get into the history, and I know we've strayed away from that in this conversation get into the history with it, but it, it is meant to be a, a for layman, uh, f- for the layman consumer from the street view of everything that, that we're seeing take place here in Colorado. Um, it's my first book, so I'm really excited. I'll, I'll be an author like you, Mary. <laughs> and congratulations. How can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more or they want to talk about anything that we've discussed today? You know, the um, the SAM website, which is learnaboutsam.org, is a great one. And then they also can contact me through, uh, there's all the information on the CEDAR page, which is um, cedarcolorado.org. So in the last minutes, what do you want people to know about marijuana today? For those of you who are working in the field, I, I want you to know that... Um, it's valid what you're seeing and feeling about this, and I think that we feel isolated because certainly the the popular media as well as public sentiment tells us that what's going on is no big deal. And I think, you know, I talk to people all over the country who say uh, they were nervous about being considered reactionary or, or alarmist or, or just going nuts. Like you're not what what you're seeing, the rest of us are seeing, and I think it's a, a, a great great thing to be talking about it, particularly from a solution standpoint. I think because this issue has been politicized, 
um, it tends to kind of boil down to this, well, which side are you on? And if you're going to say anything against uh, marijuana, then, then you're on the no side. And the, the, the reality is that, that those of us in a helping profession, I think, owe it to the people who we're working with to not have this be a politicized issue. This is a public health issue, and uh, it's one that we need to stay well informed on. Um, and my own experience, again, for those of you working in this field, has been the, the most successful interventions that I have, and I get lots and lots of calls on this, uh, but the most successful interventions I have are just like everything else. There's no judgment involved. There's no um, shaming involved. I mean, these are people with a chronic disease that's substance use disorder, and their classification just happens to be cannabis. Um, so we respect them and love them in the way that, that um, we would want to be, and we intervene. Uh, I think for people not working in this field, what I'd really encourage you to do is to, to look hard at the, the sources of information uh, for a lot of this, because so much of it is coming from an industry or other people who stand to profit, um, versus the, the public health community and the scientific community who are painting a very different picture. And, and keep an eye on Colorado because we got some data that should be giving people pause. I, I guess that's when, it. <laughs> when will that data be out? Well, we, we've, got, we've had one report released, and the best thing that I can tell you to look for right now is the HIDA report, High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area for the Rocky Mountain State, so it's H-I-D-T-A. And because there wasn't a centralized data collection mechanism in Colorado, those folks have taken to gathering most of it. They have given us four reports um, called the legalization of marijuana in Colorado, the effects. So there have been four versions of that which are good. And, and UCH is actually, and I'm uh, really, really proud to be working on this project. We're working on... Uh, center of excellence here that's going to publish um, through a vehicle called MJ Informed. Um, this is an academic institution, um, so we're hoping to publish valid science and, and real validated data by March of next year for kind of everything that's going on in a, a easily searchable and, and citable format. That would be great. That would be yeah, great. right? Wouldn't it be great if we had It'd all the info data. in one place? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it would be wonderful. You know, I think for me the important thing here is that people just begin to take um, the disease of, of addiction seriously, um, that people start to require um, classes on addiction in medical school and nursing school and social work school, all the behavioral health, they need to really understand addiction because um, it's, it's just well, it's so important and we don't pay enough attention to it. People don't understand it well. I couldn't agree more. Well, we keep mm-hmm. fighting that fight because even even this show and getting that word out makes such a difference. There, we're, we're lucky to have you doing this work. Oh well, thank you, thank you. Well, thank you for coming this uh, on our show this week. I'm glad you're out of the woods and another elk lived to see the, the next day. So thank you for that too. <laughs> I got a lot of good walking exercise. I remember that. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Well, walking is good. Yeah. So, um, Ben, you know, thank you for all you do. And maybe I'll come back after uh, your book is out. We didn't get to talk about the marketing organization either. So maybe those would be good topics for next year. Any time for you, my friend. Gladly. Okay. All right. I hope you all have a wonderful week. 
and um, try to do something nice for someone this week and um, remember love trumps hate. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.